Well, I want to start by asking you a question this morning, and I don't necessarily want you to raise your hand, okay? So this is a rhetorical question, but just kind of hang with me for a second. Have you ever been betrayed? Has anybody in your life ever betrayed you? A parent, a teacher, a coach, a spouse, a business, an organization? In your life, have you ever been betrayed? And, and, and what did that feel like? What did that feel like when someone that you trusted betrayed you? Well, let me turn that around just a little bit. And again, don't, do not raise your hand. But have you ever betrayed anyone? Have you betrayed someone who loved you and trusted you and, and, and thought you had their best interest in mind? And, and what did that feel like? What did it feel like to either be betrayed or to be the one who was betraying? Now, history records some amazing betrayal stories. I'm not going to share any of them, but there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. You can go on Google. If you're bored this afternoon after the picnic, uh, you will not fall asleep if you're tired after the picnic looking at these stories. Every category you can ever imagine, there's betrayal stories. There's betrayal in war. There's betrayal, you know, from these different colonels who betray their own army. There's betrayals of spies. There's betrayals in love. There's betrayals in money and commerce. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of betrayal stories that you can go online and read about. And they all have one thing in common. They all have something in common. All these different betrayal stories, whether it's murder, whether it's love, whether it's hate, whether it's revenge, whether it's war, spies, double spies, all these betrayal stories, they all have one thing in common. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Maybe you're not real sure about the Bible and you're not real sure that the Bible's real, but you see all these other betrayal stories and you know about betrayal. Well, this morning, we're actually going to look at one of the greatest betrayal stories in all times, and it's when Judas decides that he's going to betray Jesus of Nazareth. And it takes place on Tuesday. We're in a new message series called A Week's Notice. On the very last week of Jesus' life, a whole list of things happened on that last Tuesday. We're going to look at just one of those, just one of those events in the last Tuesday of Jesus' life. And so if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 22, the story's actually in all four Gospels. Bits and pieces are in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We learn a little bit about this betrayal story from each one of these different um, great gospel writers. We're going to kind of hang out most of the time in Luke this morning, Luke chapter 22. So look at Luke chapter 22, verse 1, and here we start. Now the feast festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. This is one of three main festivals. There's a huge pilgrimage, an influx of millions of of people coming into the city. Verse 2, it says, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was a threat. Jesus was counterculture. Jesus was always trying to transform the way they did things. And so the Bible says they were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Now just stay right there and look, but I want to show you four other passages of Scripture on the screen where this was foreshadowed. Every scribe, every you know, religious leader knew that someday a Messiah would come. 
And they all knew that from the prophecies of old that that Messiah someday would be betrayed. Look at Psalm chapter 41. Psalm 41 verse 9 says, Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread has turned against me. Psalm 55 verse 12, 13 and 14 say this, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked among the worshipers. John chapter 6 also gives us a hint that this was coming. Jesus replied, haven't I chosen you the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. And he meant Judas. The son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. And look at the next passage, one more out of Matthew. Now, Jesus was going on to Jerusalem, and on the way, he took the twelve aside, and he said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and over to the teachers of the law. Wow! They will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. So there's lots of other scriptures out there that talk about there was going to be a betrayal. Okay, go back to Luke chapter 22, and let's look at verse 2 one more time. Here's what it says. The chief priests and the teachers of the law, they were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. You see, the what had already been determined. The what was, we're going to kill Jesus. We're not sure how. We're not sure how we're going to kill him because we're afraid of the people, because the crowds like him. I mean, the crowds know that Lazarus raised from the dead. The crowds know that he was able to feed 5,000. The crowds love Jesus, but the religious leaders, they didn't like Jesus because Jesus was such a threat to their establishment. So they're looking for a way. Look at verse 3, the very next verse. It says, then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the 12. Now, that's just a really crazy verse right there, isn't it? How does that happen? How did that happen? We're going to address that in just a minute. But here's what I think Judas realized. I want to, again, stay in Luke, but I want to go to Matthew chapter 26. And when stories like this took place, Judas realized that Jesus and Judas were on a different trajectory. Judas had a whole different agenda. Why did Judas betray Jesus? Well, it wasn't for the money. I mean, 30 pieces of silver? Are you kidding? That's less than 50 bucks in today's currency. He didn't sell him out for the money. He sold him out because he realized that Jesus had a different agenda. And and Judas's agenda was he wanted Jesus to raise up a political army. Judas wanted Jesus to go in and destroy the Romans. Judas wanted there to be freedom in the land of Jerusalem. And Jesus was not a political leader. Jesus was a Messiah. Jesus was a spiritual leader. And so when stories like this took place, Judas was very disappointed with Jesus. Here's one of the stories. Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper. And a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclined at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at the high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, and this is a great, why are you bothering this woman? Look at the next verse. She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with me, but you will not always have me. 
When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for my burial. Look at the very next verse. Jesus said, truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And here's the very next verse. Then, right after this, then. You see, this story was Jesus is saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And what she's done is she's anointed me and prepared me. And at this point, Judas picks up on this and he's going, are you kidding You mean to tell me you're not going to raise up an army? I thought you were going to raise up an army. I followed you for these three and a half years so we could lead a revolt. It says, then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and he asked. The then is so important. It's right after he realized Jesus is going to die? Jesus is not a political leader? You mean I've been following him for three and a half years and he's not going to raise up an army and charge hell with a water pistol and throw out the Romans and give us freedom again? Then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and he said, what are you willing to give me? What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? It couldn't have been for the money, folks. It's less than 50 bucks. It was because he was so disappointed because he had a different agenda. I just want to push pause for a second and have two pieces of application real quick early in the service. It's not on your bulletin, so don't just wait. We'll have four bulletin lines to fill in just a minute. But I think application number one is this is a newsflash. God doesn't work for you. You work for God. Okay? God doesn't work for you. I think most Christians are still confused by this. I think most believers become a Christian and then spend most of their life trying to figure out how to get God to dial into their deal. How do I get God to come alongside of me and help me and bless me and and do whatever? See, God doesn't work that way. God's not up in heaven on a cloud going... I'm not really sure what to do down there. I'm not sure what to do. Does anybody have any vision? Is anybody very skilled? Jesus, what do you think? Holy Spirit, what do you think? God's not up there trying to figure out what to do next. And I spent a lot of my early Christian life thinking that, you know, God kind of works for me and God kind of comes alongside of me and God's going to kind of get in on my deal. And it took me a while after very several many different disappointments to realize This is a newsflash. He doesn't work for you. He's not trying to just get in on your deal. He's asking you to get in on his deal. He's asking you to be a part of his life. That's newsflash number one. And you're going to be really, really disappointed, just like Judas, if you think and you spend all of your energy trying to get God dialed in to your deal. You will be greatly disappointed. Newsflash number two. There are no handles on the outside door of the human heart. There are only handles on the inside of the door of your heart. There was no handle on the outside. Either Satan, neither Satan nor God are going to open the the handle on the outside of your heart. You see, the handle on the inside is you. You open the door to the inside of your heart. And you can be like Judas, and you can open up your, your, the inside handle and let Satan in. Or you can be like Saul of Tarsus a few years later, who let Jesus Christ in. Everybody has the same choice. But there are no handles on the outside door of your heart. 
There's only a handle on the inside door of your heart. And you let in exactly what it is you want to be let in. All right, back to Luke. Back to Luke 22. Look at verse 4. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed. Can you imagine this? I bet Gabriel and Michael had their swords drawn. I bet they were ticked and ready and release me, Father. And they discussed with them how that he might betray Jesus, verse 5. They were delighted and they agreed to give him a little bit of money, verse 6. He consented, he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. And every time you have your own agenda, you're vulnerable. Every time it's about you and what you're going to do and God help me, bless me and get in on my deal. Every time you do that, you and I are incredibly vulnerable. Well, again, just stay right there in Luke, but I'm going to take us to Matthew chapter 26. And Matthew chapter 26 is a great passage of scripture because I was asked about a year ago by some of my unchurched friends uh, up in Palm Harbor. And they said, you know what? Did, Did Jesus see this coming? Well, let's answer this question. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12, verse 21. And while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. Verse 23, 22 rather. They were very sad. They began to say to to him one after another, well, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. Do you remember Psalm Uh, the Psalm 55 a minute ago. This is a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled. Jesus is quoting this prophecy from Psalm 55. Jesus replied, the one who's dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. Verse 24, the son of man will go just as it was written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the son of man. Is that an understatement or what? That's That's a I need to get away commercial right there. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Verse 25. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. Also, we learn about this in Luke chapter 22, verse 47 and 48. If you're still in Luke chapter 22, drop down about 30 verses to verse 47. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, verse 48. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? You know what all those different stories of betrayal, love, murder, war, you know what they all had in common? It was fascinating to read some of these stories. As you read through those betrayal stories, you will notice that they all have one thing in common. It never, ever ended well for the one who betrayed. The one who betrayed was either shot, or they were hanged, or they spent life in prison, or they committed suicide. Every single one of these betrayal stories, doesn't matter which category it was in, they all had this same conclusion. And here's, here's my point, number one. If you betray, it will end poorly or tragically for yourself, for you. If you, if you betray, it will end poorly or it will end tragically for you. I mean, ask Tiger Woods. Ask Lance Armstrong. 
Ask Barry Bonds. Ask any actress. Ask any actor. Ask any special sports athlete. If you betray, when you betray someone, it will end tragically or poorly for you. So if you cheat in school, it will end poorly for you. If you cheat on your taxes, and by the way, it is tax season. If everybody didn't know that, you know, it's time to get that done. If you cheat on your taxes, it it will end poorly for you. It will end poorly or tragically. If you cheat, betray your family, if you betray your spouse, if you betray your children, if you betray your friends, if you betray your business partners, it will end poorly or tragically for you. I saw this when I was still a young pastor in Memphis. There was a couple there, and they were aged and elderly, and they came to our church, and, and they had a really bad reputation. They had a reputation that he was an elder in several different Christian churches around the Memphis area, and he was in his mid to late 80s when he came to our church, and he kind of gotten kicked out of two or three other churches, and so they came to our church when he was pretty docile and, and, and elderly. But the reputation was he would fire a preacher and then give him about 24 hours to get out of the parsonage, you know, with wife and kids. And so it wasn't a real good person. And so they come to our church and late in life, and it's not a real big deal because he's pretty docile and pretty tame at that time. They go into a home, they go to an assisted living home, and then they go into a nursing home. And about a year after this, I get a call from one of the children. And so the children are 50 and 55, there's a son and a daughter. And uh, the, the mom's name was, was, was Evelyn, and the dad's name was Ray. And so she calls on the phone, and she says, you know, my dad, um, Ray, passed away, and we're going to have a service this Thursday at, you know, 3 o'clock uh, at such and such in Memphis, a funeral home. It's just going to be a gravesite. Can you do the service? And I said, well, yeah, I'd, I'd be honored to do the service. And she said, oh, okay. She said, well, we're just going to do a graveside service, and uh, we'll just kind of meet you there. And she said, um, I, I really don't want you to say very many good things about my dad. I said, okay. And she said, so, like, what are you going to do at the service? And she said, are you, like, going to eulogize him? I said, well, yeah. You know, you tell about his life. And she said, well, there's really not much to tell. She said, he made a lot of money, but, but she said, there's not much to tell. And she said, well, what do you do next? And I said, well, you know, I usually preach a sermon, you know, a little message. Well, what are you going to preach on? I said, well, I, I, I'm gonna, I usually like to preach on heaven. She said, well, how long? I said, well, usually about 20 minutes. And she said, that's too long. That's too long. She said, how about about 10 minutes? This is the rudest lady I've ever had on the phone. It's 9.30 at night. I'm ticked. I can't believe she's this rude. Her dad just died, and she's wanting me to, you know, just basically open the hole, throw him in, throw some dirt on, and get out of there, you know? And, and so then she asked me a question, and it was hysterical. She caught me at the wrong time or the right time. She said, how much do you charge? Now, I've never charged for a funeral. I don't charge for a funeral. People give us honorariums, but I don't ever charge for a funeral. I shot a price to her that was three times higher than any honorarium I think I've ever gotten in my life. I was ticked. I didn't care if I did the funeral or not. I was mad at her. She said, you've got to be kidding me. It's that much? I said, yeah, it's that much. I don't care. It's 930 at night. I'm tired. She's rude. She couldn't believe I did it. I get there at 2.30. You always get there a little bit early at the graveside. Memphis in August is H-O-T. It's muggy. It's hot. An elder by the name of Don Young comes with me. We both peel off our coats. We're sweating through our white shirts and ties. 
They get there, I kid you not, at about five till three. There's six of them. The mother, Evelyn, their mother, was in a wheelchair, not really sure what was going on, lots of dementia. So we get there, and I do about a 14 or 15-minute sermon on heaven. I mean, it's about 3.14. They're gone. They're back in the car. They're gone. And so I'm thinking, these are the rudest people I've ever seen in my entire life. A year goes by. Same daughter from Ohio, both son and daughter were in Ohio. She calls, and she said that my mother died. You remember my mother, Evelyn? Oh, I liked your mother, Evelyn. Absolutely. A year later, she said, uh, you charge such and such, that'll be no problem. I'm going, I'm embarrassed, you know. I've, I've, I've had a year to think about this, you know. I'm a little humiliated. And, and she said, uh, you know, we'll meet you. And, and I think it was like 1 o'clock. And um, so I get there, you know, I don't really prepare much. You know, they don't really care. It's going to be five or six of them. You know, it's no big deal. And so I, I get there, you know, about quarter till 1. And they don't want to have a graveside. They're inside. And there wasn't five or six people. There was 110 or 120 or 130 people. It's, it's aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews. It's everybody in the family. It's everybody who's ever been touched by her. I can't believe this. You know, a year ago, it was kick the old man in the grave, throw some dirt on top of it. They're crying. They're coming up to me. They, some of the cousins have written poems. They've got scripture verses they want to share. This is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. This is the Atlantic Ocean from the Pacific Ocean. And so we have this incredible, amazing, probably an hour and 45-minute funeral service. People get up. They talk about Evelyn. They talk about how she gave them money and, you know, gave, her, gave them cash. And, you know, if it was a check, you know, don't, don't, don't thank the family because he, he, he's not supposed to know about it. So they, they, if she sent cash, that meant he didn't know about it. So after the funeral's over, I came up to the son. I said, you got to help me out here. I said, a year ago, you know, we had, you know, six people and blah, blah, blah. And, and he said these words. He said, my dad was a real S-O-B. He didn't abbreviate the word. Now, if you don't know what that word means, that's probably good. <laughs> Ask somebody in the room that looks like they know what that means, Okay. <laughs> Because there's plenty of the people in the room that don't, do know what that word means. And, and, and I said, tell me, he said, my dad betrayed our whole family. And he just started listing betrayal after betrayal after betrayal after betrayal after betrayal after betrayal. He said, my mother was a saint. And I just, I just thought to myself, that is so true. That statement is absolutely true. If you betray at your funeral... You know, we're going to just kick some dirt on you, I guess. I don't know, and just keep, keep moving. But it was one of the most telling examples as a young pastor that I had ever seen in my entire life. Next, next point about this is when you betray someone, you really betray yourself. This is what I want you to get this morning. When you betray someone, you, you honestly betray yourself. You see, you might get away with it, but it won't get away from you. You might get away with it legally, but it never gets away from you. It it might not stick to your name, but it sticks to you. It becomes a cancer on you, and even more importantly, it becomes a cancer in you. You see, when you betray, it wrecks everything inside of you. You and I were not wired for infidelity. 
We were not wired to lie. We were not wired to cheat. We are not made. Our psyches, our emotions, our minds, our wills, our emotions, we were not designed. It wrecks havoc inside of you. You see, I I look at this so differently today than I did 15 or 16 years ago. 15, 16, 17 years ago, I, I, I got it. I know I'm not supposed to betray my Heavenly Father. I got that. I, I know I'm not supposed to betray the ministry, my calling. I, I, I got that. I, I know I'm not supposed to betray my wonderful wife. I've got three amazing, amazing kids. I, I, I get that. But I, I bet I was in my 40s until I finally figured out that if or when I would betray my wife, my God, my church, my children, I was betraying me. I mean, all the right things are God and scripture and church. That's all good. But, but even from a less noble basis, when I betrayed or if I betrayed, I was actually betraying myself. You see, when you betray, look at the next slide. When you betray, you betray you. And and who in the world wants to, like, stab themselves? Who who in here wants to take arsenic poisoning, just a little bit of poisoning, every single day? Who in this room wants to bang their head against a wall on a regular basis? And this is what happens to you. And so God wired you for fidelity. God wired you for integrity. God wired you for incredible honesty. That's how he created you and how he created me. And, and when, you betray you, you, when you betray you, betray you betray you. Look what happens. Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 5. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said. I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. You bet he did. Acts chapter 1, verse 18 says this. This is a great verse to read right before the barbecue. With the payment he received for the wickedness, Judas bought a field. He fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. That's going to be our theme verse this afternoon before we eat barbecue. When you betray, you betray you. When you betray, you betray yourself. When you betray, life ends poorly or tragically for you. Now, again, most of the time we're talking about God and all that, and that's right. You should be honest and all that stuff for God. But I just want to talk about you for a second. When you betray, you betray yourself. I told you a couple weeks ago about a man named Billy Ray Harris. I'm going to show you a picture of Billy Ray Harris. And I told you about Billy Ray Harris, and he was the homeless man in Kansas City. And he's been out there with this little bitty, like, pot. And Billy Ray Harris, you know, was out there as a homeless man collecting money, and people would give, you know, a dollar, 50 cents, or a quarter. And Sarah Darling accidentally dropped her engagement ring into the pot. And that afternoon, Billy Ray Harris looked at his, you know, his goods, and he saw this engagement ring, and he goes to a jeweler, and the jeweler said it's worth $4,000. I'll give you four grand right here, right now for this ring. And Billy Ray Harris, he said, something inside of him just said no. And he said, my daddy was a reverend, 
And my, my grandfather, my grandfather was a reverend, and he said, I just, all those things just came back to me about what's right and what's wrong. And, and, and Billy Ray Harris said, I wasn't going to sell this ring for four grand. I was going to wait and see if anybody lost their, he said, somebody lost their engagement ring. Sarah Darling goes home that night, and she is about sick because she cannot find her engagement ring. She retraces her steps from the day before, and she can only think of possibly, maybe, I just did this. And so she goes back to Billy Ray Harris the next day, and she said, did somebody drop something very valuable in here? And he said, like a, and she said, a ring. And he pulls the ring out of the pocket, and he gives it back to her, and he honored her. Now, here's the cool story. You always reap what you sow, and you always reap more than what you sow. I want you to catch that. You always reap what you sow, but you always reap more than what you sow. If you sow to the flesh, you reap more than the flesh. If you sow to the Spirit, you reap more to the Spirit. If you sow good things, great things come back. If you sow evil deeds, evil deeds come back. You always reap, and you always reap more than what you sow. And here, the last couple of weeks, they have raised $175,000, that community, for Billy Ray Harris. They are providing a home for him. His family, who thought he was dead, sees this on the news. The sister gets a hold of him, and Billy Ray Harris has a whole new life. An amazing story because a man didn't sell out. He didn't sell out for $4,000. His whole spirit said to him, do not do this. And so you and I, my goodness, we have the Holy Spirit, we have each other, we have the church, we have the scriptures, we have all these different leaders who are helping us to be true to ourselves and to who we are. And so look at this. I want to show you one last uh, on the screen. Look at this. It says this. It says, when you are true, when you are true to God, that's, that's the first step, right? When you are true to God, yourself, and all relationships, you have life and peace. I want you to write those on your, on, your, on your bulletin. When you are true, in other words, when you are filled with integrity, when you are true to God, yourself, and relationships, you have life and you have amazing peace in, in your life. A couple of weeks ago, my good friend and my prayer partner, Kent Stickler, was right over here on a chair. Do you remember that? He was telling some stories. And the very first story that Kent told about was about the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And Horatio Spafford is the man who wrote that song, It Is Well With My Soul. And the first line in the very first verse says, when peace like a river. And you're going, what in the world? How could this man have any peace in his life? And Kent told the story about how at the last minute he had to stay home for a business trip and the wife and four kids went over and there was a ship accident and they lost all four of their children. Horatio and Mrs. Spafford lost all four kids. And when they came to that place in the Atlantic Ocean, they came to that very spot. The captain stopped the boat and he he had like a little service there and it was right then and there that Horatio Spafford wrote that song. He starts off with peace like a river.